Leslie Golden was a pole dancer in small town Texas with a teeny Instagram following until a whirlwind weekend in LA where she blew up online. From there, she entered a new world, one where partying in LA mansions, jet setting to Thailand, and getting glammed up for brand campaigns was all part of a day's work. Leslie is just one of many influencers who got famous on the internet and then tried to flip that clout into a whole new life. On this blew up, I'm gonna show you how social media stardom is made, from the spawn con to the content houses, and how it all adds up to a new kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. When attention is the ultimate currency, what lengths will you go to to get it? And who's gonna want a piece of your success? From the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. This Blew Up premieres on July 5th on the Ringer Dish feed. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Hey there. You know that Hulu has movies, right? Well, if you didn't, we're here to tell you Hulu has movies. Hulu has acclaimed movies like All of Us Strangers starring Paul Meskel and Andrew Scott, Suncoast starring Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney, and Cat Person with Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun. So head over to Hulu if you like movies because you guessed it, Hulu has movies. This episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If saving money was on your 2024 resolution list, I have a 100% guaranteed way to make sure you follow through. Ready? Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, the Lula of podcasting. He's back. It's Andy Greenwald. We had some time in the wilderness, but now yeah, we're man. back. Andy Greenwald back on the West Coast where he belongs, soaking up the sun, considering doing half marathons, talking about how much he loves the consistent weather of Los Angeles. It's so good to see your face. I have to tell you something off the top, Andy. Is it about Brazilian politics? Because I'm only marginally prepared. No, it's, we, we do not have to break okay. down uh, Bolsonaro's defeat. But I wanted to tell you that, um, so on Saturday night, I went mm-hmm. to sleep with an AirPod in my left ear and I slept <laughs> on my right ear. Like, so I slept on my right side. Okay. And when I woke up, mm-hmm. and I this is still the case, I can't really hear very well out of my right ear, but I can also hear like what people are doing down the street. I'm like Spider-Man now. So Wait, just what? if I seem a little off, like auditory wise, like that's why. Is this your origin story? <laughs> I mean, is this like, <laughs> wait, but I haven't discovered my superpower yet. I don't know what we're, it is. We're going to talk about white Lotus season two, the season premiere, but that is clearly of secondary importance now. So, I thought when you said that you couldn't hear in one ear, but you could hear something unique in the other ear, I thought you just could hear the latest episode of Red Scare. Yeah. You know, just like constantly on repeat. Yes. Um, Dasha only, yeah. What What was... Now, longtime listeners of the pod know that I love to refer to the time we shared a hotel room at Comic-Con uh, 2015 and 14. And I, I saw your Nosferatu like sleep ritual. Which yeah, at I've, that I've time changed involved, up a lot. I've changed up on my well, sleeping a lot. Well, AirPods weren't a thing then. I saw you put in your like 
your you know your 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 buds I uh-huh. believe they were called when they were wired and then cross your arms across your chest like one of the leads in what we do in the shadows and and yeah. drift it off so so you still require an audio element to fall asleep but you, you like do it. a one ear thing I like to I mean it, so what I do is sometimes I will put on golf mm-hmm. YouTube and just put one AirPod in mm-hmm. and then just fall asleep that way. Did the AirPod, was it still there when you woke up or did it go inside of your head? It's a, it's a whole thing where like I'll wind up being like, what is that thing digging into my spine at five in the morning? And it's just an oh. AirPod down there somehow. Chris, are you yeah. okay? Like, yeah. It just doesn't seem sustainable. You think that of all the weird things that go on between the two of us, this is the unsustainable mm. part? I think that there are a lot of like... No, re- I mean, for you, if you can't hear out of one ear, that's Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's. I mean, I can hear, but the left yeah. ear is just way more open. And I feel <laughs> like the frequencies that I'm hearing are really off. Like I can just hear... Wow. I was able to hear somebody having a conversation about like a donkey or something down the street the other day. Or I'm hearing voices in my head, one or the other. Okay, well, that's good. happy Halloween, by the way. That's good for that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do want to say another thing for our, our listeners. Um, I just need to publicly express some gratitude here because, as you mentioned, I was away. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of a childcare vacuum all of a sudden in my, uh, in my home. Yeah. And guess who came to babysit my youngest on Friday? Uncle Chris. That's right. Off the bench. Now, I just need to tell you that I I wasn't in on these high-level conversations, perhaps due to the time zone or perhaps due to my just unimportance in, you know, these conversations. I found out about this event when I was FaceTiming with my children and they said, guess who's babysitting? (laughs) And I literally listed 26 people that we know. Without guessing it. Really? (laughs) I didn't make the top 25? I was like the neighbor across the street who fosters dogs and drives a pickup truck. They were like, no. (laughs) No. Well, because I, as I said, I wasn't involved in the decision making. I, of course, would have vouched for you. I would have presented you Uh as a candidate at the Galactic Senate. Sure. But I didn't know where things were. And then they said, the friend you do your podcast with. Yeah. And I was like, Dasha from Red Scare? And they were like that. I was like, once again, that's not me. Um, I just needed to break, mention this, not only because it was a lifesaver, it was so kind of you, made me so happy that Uncle Chris was in the house uh-huh. uh, turning on and off the Apple television. But I just feel like, you know, Chris, like you, 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 you're, you're a public figure. You cultivate a reputation and an aura. There are heads devoted to you and and really listen to the wisdom that you preach. And just a few days ago, you were like, and I, I believe I'm quoting, forgive me if it's inexact, you said, I have willingly ended my family line. To avoid watching so animation. Can, yeah. To avoid watching animation. And yet, just a few short days later, you were explaining to me the the intricacies of Riley's dating life post Inside Out. Well, I, so we we watched some some Disney Plus. Thank you to Bob mm-hmm. Chapek, uh, not only for his support <laughs> of the Greenwald family financially, yeah. but for indeed, no, that's right. <laughs> it, it, the money goes in and the money goes out. That's right. Do you think it would be amazing if you had like a a gig writing like the Vision spinoff, but like they? Yeah. They took out money every month for Disney Plus. <laughs> Chris, you joke, but I pay for Spotify. Okay, like I get those, <laughs> I get those auto deducts. So Do you think you'll? Will you pay way. for a blue check on Twitter? Oh, a hundred. I, I I would sell my blue check today 
for just like not even American money. Are you kidding me? Um, but yeah, we watched a little bit of the, you know, because there's all those shorts that come along, you know, before, run before the movie I, or, or uh, whatever. I, I, listen, I don't know. I don't watch as much TV with my children as you do. Apparently, so we, we watched great. the one where the two volcanoes sing to one another and the tectonic plates shifting brings Lava, them together. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then we watched did, did, the did Riley's. Dusty in there? Riley's dusty in there. So I gotta that? tell you, it pulls at the heartstrings. And then yeah. we watched Riley's first date, which is a in and out, inside out, like spinoff. And then we watched most of Inside Out. And then now, just because I know you mentioned mm-hmm. how much fun you have with this about like when you turn on the Apple TV for the freeze yeah. frame of the last thing you watched. Yeah. I just dialed up Day of the Soldado to the part where Benicio <laughs> del Toro is like time to meet God. <laughs> just just as a, like a parting gift? Yeah. No, for you. Next time you stop by, it's just like, oh. <laughs> Were you... um. Were you familiar with like with Riley's emotional inner life? And, and, yeah, and the I'd rich seen Inside, Inside Out was one of the few Pixar movies that I had seen in the theater. Okay. Actually, yeah. Now, last thing, like when you arrived at the homestead, was, like was there anything laid out, for, like anything special for you? Like, was my was my daughter like really dialed in for Uncle Chris, or was she like? No, she I, was like, I'm going to be watching TV, and <laughs> and then and then it slowly but surely invited me into the process. But her head, I, I and must just, have been aware yeah. of my skepticism of animation as an art form. She listens to the pod. I <laughs> I, I asked her not God, to mention your not. Miyazaki erasure. Um, I, I also just want to say legitimately thank you for this. And then a double thank you for not sending me the uh, screen grab of Homelander with his arm around uh, Butcher's kid. No, you sent that to me. <laughs> well, I, I was that was that was, I, I was trying to get in front of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was trying, trying to, to think about like what would be the most upsetting thing that I could like text you while <laughs> you're three thousand miles away, and I'm just like, is this poison? Like, <laughs> like, like I don't know what I could have done. Yeah. Um, how Andy, much? How much hand sanitizer d- is okay to drink? <laughs> that's right. Um, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention before we get to White Lotus. Yeah. Uh, just kind of news wise, I don't really have like. Um, big takes on any of this stuff. I thought it would be worth mentioning that Severance season two began production. I just, just and that, that yeah. they, they have done the, the custom additions to the season two cast. These are pretty noteworthy just because Gwendolyn Christie, who who I think is fantastic, is joining the cast, as is Aaliyah Shawkat and um, Merritt Weaver, which is like pretty nice pickups, and as well as Bob Balaban. Robbie Benson coming off the bench from wow. the, from back in the day is, is joining the cast. So you know the, the voice of the beast. In Beauty and the Beast, a, another cartoon that you didn't watch on I did Friday, not, but could have. I didn't, yeah. could have. So excited, excited for that to come back. I do, wonder. Do, do you think starting that's a production thing? now? It is like, oh, Robbie Benson. I wouldn't be surprised. It's like that's my guy. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I've day. seen him in Getty photos at Madison Square Garden with Robbie Benson, but that seems like a, <laughs> a deep cut. Dude, yeah, Kaya, should we pause and just Google that? Like, we're finally <laughs> telling the truth about something on this right. podcast. Six Scott Pelly. It's like. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's coming back. I was kind of wondering whether or not that was going to make 24. If it's starting now, they should be able to do it. I mean, Succession's able to turn it around. I just noted with interest that in Casey Bloys' exit interview with Joseph Adalian about, not exit, like Casey's not going anywhere, but the exit interview for the season of House of the Dragon that he really threw a bucket of cold water on any prospect of House of the Dragon coming back in 23 and that it was more of a 24 gambit. Um, I, I think that if Severance is starting production now, or ju- I mean, usually these cast announcements, these are all things that happened months ago, and yeah, then they right. announce them when the deals are closed and when they start rolling. I think there's a very, very strong chance 
if not an inevitability, that it'll be back in 23. It's I, not I as right. effects heavy as Dragon. Um, I think that they also turned the first season around pretty quickly. Uh, I think they had filmed it the previous winter. It wasn't like there was a big gap. Um, but I, I, I do wonder, this is pretty, really inside, inside baseball, but like Apple will definitely would want that show back for the Emmy window. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah. That's, the, that's the real question mark, if they'll be able to hit that, because that's... That would, that would mean getting back on the air by May, June. But it's possible. If they're rolling in October, it's possible. Uh, the only other thing I had was I made a joke about uh, there being a vision show, but apparently there is going to be a vision show. And I'm wondering whether... Uh, I, I can't confirm or deny my involvement in that show. Uh, Jack Schaefer, sh who sh worked on WandaVision, is going, or I think wrote WandaVision, is going to be writing uh, this show. I, it's right there. You got to call it Vision Quest. I don't know if they will. Now, I, I wanted to give you one second to do sincere... Yeah. The Tom King vision stuff is really good talk. Yeah. I also, can I just say, like, I would, I'm really into this saying I can't confirm or deny my involvement in things. Can I just continue to do that? <laughs> Including my role in the fraudulent election in Brazil over the weekend. You're going to get us like uh, kicked off Sorry. The, of, of the internet for spreading misinformation, man. Elon will welcome me back. That's true. People people think I quit Twitter last December because I had morals. No, no, I was just waiting. I was just waiting for the chaos to What begin. happened last December? That was when I stopped looking at Twitter. But was there like a moral reason? Yeah, because I felt sick in my <laughs> brain and body. And I was like, this is torture and poison and hurting me in the world. Oh, I just thought like, I, it wasn't like you, you were like January 6th, but that was the final straw for me. You didn't get that text from me where I announced... With great fanfare that I was leaving the world's most uh, corrosive social media Why platform. don't you do, I just wish that you would do that thing where it's just like, friends, yeah. I'm leaving the parapet here. <laughs> like I'm leaving the barricades. It. And then like five seconds later, or ba is ba back and being like, by the way, my Tegan and Sarah interview goes live on Monday. Just just back faving. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, you want me to talk about vision? Yeah, look, I, they actually use some of this in WandaVision. But, you know, there's a great, great, great comic book writer called Tom King. I think I've given this spiel before, but like his really he's one of the most gifted comic writers out there, especially for taking characters and telling the best version of that story. Mm -hmm. um, he's over at DC now doing that for, I think, I think he did Shade the Changing Man and a couple other things. But his Vision 12 issue maxi series called Vision, it's collected in a uh, beautiful, uh, you know, bound edition, you get hardcover, softcover, whatever. And actually, I did the Marvel Comics in-house podcast about this uh, a couple of months ago. Sneaky son of a bitch. Well, it, it, I call it the Prestige Comics podcast. I don't know if you know about that, but it's just something I like to do on the side. Just keep, you know, keep keep the old juices flowing. Now, do those appearances, are those contractually obligated by Chapek? Like, do they also come out of your, of your deal? You laugh as if you were not, until the end of Grandland, a Disney cast member. <laughs> you know, like we all were. That was what we were called when we worked. Yeah. Uh, I, I just kept the goofy hat and, you know, just can put it on for events or for um, short term consulting assignments. But the uh, I, I really recommend it. It really boils the character down to an incredible. Uh, it's just brilliant. And it's uh, it's about what makes this robot who wants to be a man tick. And he builds a family for himself, basically, to become human. How many um, times has this guy died? Vision? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like my electric car. You know what I mean? Does it die or does it just get unplugged and plugged <laughs> back in again? Is Vision made by Polestar? 
I mean, the fun thing about it is that like when you have a normal car, it's like the engine breaks. But with an electric car, especially one as poorly made as mine, it's like inf- it just says like propulsion system failure. I'm like, I'm not fucking Captain Kirk. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just I'm just trying to get jump to, the to hyperspace malfunction. <laughs> or, or, or or the time you're driving on the street and suddenly it's like collision imminent and it starts constricting the seatbelt. I'm driving 20 miles an hour on an empty road. It's cool. It's cool. I definitely recommend driving a computer instead of a car. So yeah, it's like that. He dies a lot. Not a big deal. Yeah. I mean, like, I thought back. his death and by the hands of Thanos was definitive. You know, like, like there's no coming back from that one. But I guess I was wrong. But I guess he still is dead and he's just like a figment of Wanda's imagination, right? Well, no. And wasn't now there he's, the white white vision? he's white vision. He's white vision. That's right. <laughs> by the way, if ever there was a hero for these times, it's white vision. <laughs> like that is really that that's the superhero this that this moment is asking for, sadly. Um no, but like that's his that's his robot body, but not his, you know, his passionate Wanda loving soul. I, I just want to say, what a sinecure for Paul Bettany. Like that guy's I don't know anything about his life. I didn't read the transcripts of the Johnny Depp trial, but uh-huh. it does see it does seem fairly decent. You know what I mean? And like best case scenario that he's just sort of, I guess he hangs out in Park Slope with, with Jen Connolly. And then every few months, Kevin Feige's like, all right, you know, the, your, your, your suite's ready for you here in Atlanta. We're going to do some stuff. And he's like, great. And then in between, he just does that performance in, uh, in Solo that, 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 I, that I blacked out, out about. But I think we really, really enjoyed. It was, a, it was a very uh, warmly he, remembered. Didn't he replace Michael K. Williams in that part? Who? Are there, solo? Oh, in Solo. No, in Solo, he was this character that I believe in the Miller Lord and Miller version, Michael K. Williams had been playing a version of this character. Was and Michael K. Williams shut like it down, on set and they shot some of it? I believe they did. And then they shut it down and Whoa. Ron Howard took over. And I think Michael K. Williams was unavailable to continue. I see. Um, and so obviously you go, you just go one click down on the call sheet, like on the audition <laughs> sheet for like, if you can't get Michael K. Williams. So... Speaking speaking of white visions, like the idea of Paul Bettany always being on call to replace Michael K. Williams is I know, really as, a special. As Omar one. <laughs> would be pretty amazing. It's incredible. As him like making a toothbrush shiv in night of. It's I mean, I'm I'm here for all of this. Let's talk a little bit of white let's talk white lotus. Let's let's stop right. beating around the bush. I was gonna say, like, did you have any cultural highlights from New York? I was curious whether or not in your New York your New York adventure, if you saw anything that you would like to report I- back on. Well, I would recommend two two great things. I saw the new Tom Stopper play Leopoldstadt, which absolutely cracked me open and and destroyed me. It's it's beautiful. It's a really powerful play. I wish everyone could see it. And I did see I saw the Edward Hopper exhibition that's up at the Whitney. Oh my god. That was very nice. Yeah. You love um, you fucking love a diner. You know what I love really is 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 urban loneliness and malaise. Yeah. So I felt really good about that. I would say though. My favorite thing that happened was when I got on uh, a train, as one does. I got on like a uptown uh, A train, mm-hmm. and there were you know when you get on a train car and there's a certain energy, and sure. It's, it, it usually goes one of two ways. It's usually usually either why is everyone crowded on one end of this car? Oh no, and that's more of an olfactory experience yes. that I yeah. remember very well. This was more just like a kind of a charge in the air, and, it, and it's because there was a group of, of of young men, as it often is, who were who were having their own experience on this train at this four p.m. hour of the day, and it was fine. It was just like a little like they're kind of loud, mm-hmm. no big deal. 
New York City. One of them then did light a cigarette on the train. Yeah. And was just enjoying a, you know, a cool in the afternoon or whatever it was. And a one of the, a conductor emerged in response to this provocation. And it was a, she was a very, very small woman. Mm-hmm. And she came out around this corner and they, they stubbed out the cigarette. And she, it was almost like a beautiful tableau. She just raised her arms in the, like in like a, a kind of, essentially WTF, like what, like, you know, what, yeah. what, what are you doing? And my eyes went from her to the group of, of young men. <laughs> and they did the single most disrespectful thing I've ever seen a living person do in my 45 years on this earth. Almost as if they had planned this, one of them turned around and just made an extravagant drive the train gesture. <laughs> what? Now, what's incredible about this is he basically lifted his arms above his head and swung them back and forth like he was moving a steering wheel. Uh huh. To imply that her job, she was, had no business there, and she should just quote drive the train. This was all nonverbal. You don't drive a train with a steering wheel. Even I, a luddite, knows that. Right? Yeah. I'm glad they don't. Was, Can you imagine if a guy was like, I'm going to take this corner a little harder than usual just to see, see what the, was, the traction is on these treads. It was so devastating that I think she had to quit the MTA. Like, I was on her side. <laughs> and she was the last you know? one. She was the last person. She was it. And then it was just, uh, yeah, then it was now just they a ghost train. White Vision running the MTA. Um, anyway, I, okay. I, put, I put out my cigarette too at that point. Tom Stoppard still got it though? Yeah. Yeah. I, should we make this a stoppered pod before we get to White Lotus? Uh, we, I mean, we can. I, 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 I'm jealous. You, you've gotten to see more live stoppered than I have. You know? it, it, it was pretty funny this because this morning, you know, I, I, I like to listen to the Bill Simmons podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yes, the sports guy, I believe he goes by, and and it was it was very nice because he did he shouted out this podcast, the watch, and pretended he didn't know your name. So I, I love that. Uh-huh. I love that bit. It's a great bit. Um, but then he was, he was like, you know, we got a lot of great content. We got the watch going. And he's, Chris is still cranking that out. And, and then he was like, and I'm Prestige TV pod. And he was just like White Lotus, but also like Interview with a Vampire. And, and he started listing all of these well-received and popular shows that we don't cover. And I got, I got I was like a little, I got a little hop. Then I was like, okay, that's a good plan, actually, because these things are getting covered. And then I, at this moment, it suddenly became clear to me that because it's because we're going to talk about Tom Stoppard. <laughs> That's so, not, you know, technically why that's happening. <laughs> that's also no, because I, you're like, I don't want to watch Interview with a Vampire. Oh, no one asked me. No one asked me it's, about that show. It's got to be from inside. It's got to be you <laughs> looking at Metacritic's TV release dates and being like, what can I watch this week? <laughs> what can I get into? What's the discourse? There well, is a lot of know, TV coming up in the next two months. So I'm sure we're going to be pretty busy because we got Slow Horses in December. We've got White yeah. Lotus now. I want you to watch uh, SAS Rogue Heroes from the makers of Peaky Blinders. You know, this is like kind of a Peaky Blinders treatment about the the forming of the special services and during yeah. World War II. It looks pretty amusing. And there's lots of stuff coming out. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Hey there. You know that Hulu has movies, right? Well, if you didn't, we're here to tell you Hulu has movies. Hulu has acclaimed movies like All of Us Strangers starring Paul Meskel and Andrew Scott, Suncoast starring Woody Harrelson and Laura Linney, and Cat Person with Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun. So head over to Hulu if you like movies because you guessed it, Hulu has movies. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the wallet app and you're good to go. 
This episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If saving money was on your 2024 resolution list, I have a 100% guaranteed way to make sure you follow through. Ready? Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com watch. That's mintmobile.com watch. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. Let's talk about White Lotus. Season two uh, premiered last night with one episode. It's now obviously set in, uh, not obviously, but for those who don't know, it's set in Sicily after the first season's Hawaiian adventure. And Andy, I wanted to start here. Mm. I wanted to talk to you about the uh, the accidental series phenomenon that sometimes happens to HBO, which is when yep. they have what is imagined as, I think, maybe not solely conceived as, but at least initially presented as a limited series. And then due to the popularity of said series, mm-hmm. there's just a demand for more. And some of those shows that have kind of answered that demand have done so at their own peril. I would say that the second season of Big Little Lies is an example of of maybe yep. too much of a good thing. And uh, you know, then there are examples like True Detective, which I think has had um, varying levels of success over its its multi-season run. You get the persistent rumors of stuff like, will they bring Mayor of Easttown back after what was essentially like to me at least like a very perfect piece of television and yep. whether or not they would bring that back. But I thought it was pretty interesting that they brought White Lotus back, despite obviously like, there's like a it's a bucket that you can refill. It's mm-hmm. essentially like, hey, Mike White, put everything that you're interested in in this thing. Like, do whatever you want with this thing as long as it has some sort of relationship to the White Lotus hotel chain. And you can also go to all these different places. You can cycle in cast. But what do you think it is about? I, I, I what do you think it is about these series that initially start as limited? but then wind up having having legs. Do you think it's just down to the fact that these limited series tend to cast big people like your Nicole Kidmans, your Matthew McConaughey's, your Kate Winslet's, and then yeah. when people get a taste of that, they're like, hey, I'd love to have more Kate Winslet in my life doing Philadelphia accents, or is there something, like, is there something in this sort of, the first season or the season that people get is so complete and satisfying that they want to repeat that satisfaction rather than constantly kicking the can down the road narrative-wise? I mean, the Emmys are, the, are the, the main answer. I mean, this season was commissioned and shot before White Lotus season one cleaned up at the Emmys, but this is such an incredible... It's, I mean, it's such a success story. We've said that before. It, it, 
it came together so on the fly and paid off to such an absurd degree in terms of critical acclaim, in terms of award wins, in terms of ratings. I think it was quite, the first season did did very well. Yeah. Um, I think it should be celebrated because this is something that came out of, you it's know. It's also worth noting is, that I think people, it was it was one of those shows that people continued to discover long yeah. after its release. I, I was deeply charmed by Peter Schrager's story about going over to Sean McVeigh's house on uh, this is on Bill's pod. Peter Schrager was like, I went over to McVeigh's house. And we just we just watched White Lotus. Wow. Just two guys just watching two guys the first watching season. White Lotus yeah. together. White yeah. Lotus. Yeah. You know, at a moment when it's harder than ever to sell things to television or in this industry, in this town, at the it, 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 this is the hardest it's ever been. I've heard this and I I've I've gotten sense of this personally. It's even doubly hard to sell something original. And this should be celebrated because this came from circumstance of HBO head Casey Bloys basically calling Mike White and being like, you write fast. Can you get us something during this pandemic year that we could shoot, you know, safely and quickly? But this is what we want, right? We want interesting idiosyncratic creators to be given the green light to do what they want. And to have that be rewarded is just good for the industry full stop. And it's good for HBO because as we've been discussing over the last few weeks, you know, what it, what makes that brand unique in this current media ecosystem? And I just think uniformly, like knowing the way Casey and Francesca and all the other people, their program, they still believe in the legacy of that network and that mm-hmm. they generate things and they develop things and they give people, creatives, the chance to do stuff that the other places won't. So yeah, are they reaping the benefits of Dragon and, and the DC properties, et cetera? Of course, but this matters a lot to them. So I think all that is great. I think what's interesting about the beginning of season two was literally this episode that we're going to be discussing is the inflection point of, okay, it's an ongoing anthology series now. So what does that mean? Is it purely the properties? Or is it something else that carries from season to season? And as a way to open up the conversation, I would say I was surprised by two decisions that I caught early on. One, I really didn't think, and I don't had no reason not to think this, but I didn't think it would start with a body mm-hmm. and then one week earlier, like the first season did. Um, Bodies. I potential bodies, right? Oh, right. He says bodies, right. He said there's guests in the water. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something surprising and, 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 and different, but largely that, that conceit, I mean, it does make me curious how many seasons this is going to go because at a certain point they're going to have to rebrand, you know, (laughs) like at a certain point they're getting into like Corona beer or Delta Airlines over the last few years. But it hasn't really impacted the bottom line of the cruise industry. I mean, how many times have we heard about like somebody taking a, a jackknife off of the back of a cruise ship, but they're like, but we still, Docked in Crete, you know, like we still. <laughs> yeah, but I also think that there are just many, 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 many hotels in nice places. And the like, we seal a viral incubator with a water slide and take you around the world. Like there's really only a couple options for that. Sure. And if that's your bag, go for it. Do you think we move markets on this podcast? Do you think, you, do, do we just sink the cruise industry? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's what did it, but yeah. Nor okay, do I think it's it. sinkable. No, it's unsinkable. Um, I mean, other problems happen on the boat, but the boats stay afloat. Yeah. Um, so I was surprised by that. And then at least in the early going, the earliest of goings, one episode, I was surprised at how focused this season seems to be, or at least this episode is, on the upstairs of the upstairs-downstairs. You know, of course, this is very early. 
there's uh, Lucia and her friend, uh, Mia, mm-hmm. who are, well, one of them is a sex worker, the other one's her friend. So we're sort of seeing them see the guests arrive, and et cetera. We have the, uh, what's her name? Um, Valentina, the who, hotel manager. Valentina. Yeah. Valentina is the manager, right? But I think one of the things that kind of locked me into the first one early was that it was going to be a little bit upstairs, downstairs for all of the sort of cloistered foibles of the guests. We would be with Murray Bartlett's character, who went on his own vision quest, let's say, over the course of that first season. Sure. We were kind of locked in with him. So that and scene- Natasha the, Rothwell's the, character, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the, the lack of those characters, or at least the imbalance of those characters, was the other surprise. So because this is an opportunity for- as you said at the top, like Mike White, Mike White is going to show us what a White Lotus anthology series means to him. Yeah. He's writing and directing it all and where his interests lie. I think that, let me ask you this provocative question here. Yeah. Do you think that the presence of Jennifer Coolidge and the trend, like the, you know, yeah. ta- her Tanya character being the one holdover from the last season, at least as far as we know, changed your expectations where you were like, but I thought, Okay, but if Jennifer Cool, if Tanya's here, shouldn't there also be long suffering people around her? And I guess the Haley Lou Richardson assistant character Portia stands in for this, but mm-hmm. because there was remnants of the past season of White Lotus in this season, mm-hmm. is that why you were like, huh, they're not doing the like the class issues of the first season? They're doing they're doing something else. I, I don't know. I think it was I think it was more that. It could just be that, you know, Murray Bartlett, he won the Emmy. I mean, I I, mm-hmm. I love that him as an actor and having him and Natasha Rothwell was great too. So I was locked in on them as equals and peers, you know, and maybe this is, maybe this is just me saying, well, the, the local workers at the place or outside of the place are clearly very talented Italian performers I don't know as well. It really just could be that. And this is something that we could revise as we go forward. The Jennifer Coolidge returning thing was kind of interesting to me because I, we said this in the first season, which both of us ended up loving to varying degrees. But I, I she's an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. I support her and I celebrate her success in this show. I didn't necessarily need more, but it also, you know, it's also interesting what we choose to do with it because her arc really was illustrates one of the strengths of the first season, right? Where she is lost and suffering, but incredibly privileged and sort of stumbles her way into an almost undeserved, but very sweet happiness mm-hmm. while she stomps all over At Natasha the Rothwell's of other character. People. Yeah, right. And, and that was so artfully architected and, and delivered, and that was great. And so where else is there for that to go? Now it's Mike White, who is anti-sentimental, which I respect a lot. So where it goes is where a lot of things go after the bloom uh, wears off. And so her scenes with, is it Greg? I forget. It's the name of his, uh, Greg. Yeah. Were yeah. rough. You know, like those were, those were rough and kind of not cruel because I've seen enough of his work now to understand that Mike White isn't cruel, but in the early going, sometimes he's, it can he's feel honest, that way. He's honest, I would say. He's more than, I, I, are people this awful to each other? All the time. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what I would. I understand that it's well, fiction and it's is heightened. It, is it and beyond it's the Tanya the character stakes. that you're talking about? Or are you talking about all the yeah, other? Well, across the board. Across See, the board. See, that's the thing like, is, I think that I, I, I sort of noted, and 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 as you mentioned, we both wound up loving. I, we're both huge fans of this sh- show. Yes. And the project in general. I thought that across the board, I think my like surprise or my eyebrow raise was more at the uniform melancholy that mm. seemed to pervade the show. Whereas 
there was almost a zany, not quite screwball, but like every character on the first season was like pitched slightly higher. You know, like yes. Steve Zahn and Connie Britton were these kind of like comic, daffy, you know, midlife crisis, you know, inspect my testicles and I have to get my Zoom background right and all that stuff. And then you had the Sydney Sweeney, you know, kind of like... The, the teens. That was very funny. But like as this Greek chorus sitting by the pool reading and increase and, you know, increasingly like outlandish book titles as they watch this behavior. And then you have like the Jake Lacey character who is sort of almost a cartoon caricature of this buffoonish mm. Ivy League guy. Like, you know, it was, it was like th- there was a certain like almost larger than life aspect to the show. And even as Murley Bartlett's character like increasingly loses it, his his sort of behavior becomes like so so big, you know. Yeah. And then everything here was very sad. I thought it was like a sad. It was. It seems like it's going mm. to be a much more melancholy show. I thought Michael Imperioli's character has this very like haunted, vacant kind of like sad, resigned vibe to it. I thought that you know the sort of two couples with the the. Uh, with Will Sharp and, and Aubrey Plaza playing Ethan and Harper and Theo James and Megan Fahey yep. playing the other couple aren't quite dialed up to a hundred. You know what I mean? I even thought that that the Theo James character, who's obviously supposed to be an asshole, like is kind of, I don't know, like it's the kind of person you'd probably run into in, in an Erewhon. You know what I mean? Like it's not that out, out, of, out, of, out of pocket. So it was interesting to see that the note that went across the board for the entire cast was like play it at a seven rather than a nine. I think that's such a smart observation. I think that is kind of what I'm responding to because it it's almost as if, and this speaks to your original question about the ongoing series nature of it. This season begins with a palette that didn't emerge in the first season until later. Mm-hmm. You know, that there there was regret and melancholy, and certainly the, the Tanya character was was weeping, I think, when we meet her. But there was that kind of frenzy of we're in a new place and the rules are different here and we're going to reacclimate over the course, we're going to acclimate to it over the course of the first few days. That's not here. You're absolutely right. And that's, it's the first episode. So pointing it out isn't necessarily a criticism, but I think you're, I think that really helps me understand what I, what I, it's not that I found anything lacking. I was looking. And that's also yeah, the nature exactly. of a returning show. Well, this is kind of why I brought else. up the accidental franchise thing is because yeah. continuing series wind up having expectations tied to, I mean, the second season of True Detective for as like nonsensical as it was at times couldn't help but suffer from the lack of at the center of this show are two mm-hmm. of the most charismatic out there fucking leads that Hollywood produced in the last 30 years and Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Vince Vaughn, Taylor Kitsch, and Rachel McAdams were all like these hollowed out husks of people and they couldn't really like rise to meet the sort of true detective expectations. One character could. One actor could. Well, in the second Co- season. Colin Farrell is in a separate class there. Yeah. <laughs> when you were talking about the most compelling and charismatic actors, I was like, Ray, you're Ray talking Val about Colin Farrell in season two, right? Like yeah. and a million I percent. Think that, yes, I agree. That's the interesting thing about White Lotus. Most of the time, what we're longing for is I want to see Kate Winslet wearing a hoodie, eating Wawa, and drinking, you know, Yinglings or Rolling Rocks. You're not necessarily like there's more meat on the bone. Like, what else happened in East Town that you know I need to hear about? Or yeah, what? you're totally right. It's the vibe you want to Whereas continue in the this, vibe in the world. It's like we want to see 
rich people being bastards in a lovely location. That's sort of the White Lotus thing. And then whatever happens underneath of that is really up to Mike White. So it's interesting to see him go away from... And and I think that both things are true. White Lotus season one was also about people at inflection points in their lives. It just also mm-hmm. so happened to have a backdrop of you know, the Hawaiian culture and colonialism and exploitation and all that, you know, and class and like what people of less outrageous means need from the rich in this world and with the Natasha Rothwell-Tanya relationship. Whereas this season, it seems to be more about a bunch of people who have wound up going on vacation and realizing that maybe they don't like the life that they brought with them. Or or, or each other. Or Or each other. Let's go through the, the the guests because I think that um, the two traveling couples were the most interesting to me coming out of this episode for reasons good and bad. Like there's a scene when they're all drinking Aperol spritzes mm-hmm. and talking about watching you know, the news, uh, yeah, and talking about watching the news. And I thought in some ways this was the White Lotus at its best because again, as we said at the beginning, this was a reactive show. This was Casey calling Mike White and saying like, do you have anything? And mm-hmm. Mike was living the same world that we were living in with pandemic and and uh, social unrest. And so he's sort of responding to it. So, you know, you don't want your art to be- We um, also wanted to go to Hawaii for several months. And we all did. But we also don't want our art to be like a tick, you know, like the Chiron on the bottom of CNN, but we want it to be influenced a little bit, especially, and the show is really built to do that. And so that scene where you have four characters across purposes, I really appreciated it because I thought everyone was right. You know, like that's that's often the best kind of argument when you can see on screen, because as noted just a few moments ago, I share Theo James's character's feeling about social media and news coverage on it. And it's best to just disengage because you cannot be artificially manipulated into rage 24 hours a day and also have an adult life. Um but I also believe that one should know what's going on and, you know, vote. I do think that's important. Well, that's, why so you I go, kind of, that's why you go to Facebook. I, that's why I go to Facebook to really know what's going on, to vet, to vet these jokers running against my senators, Ron Johnson. And uh, yeah, anyway, um, but sometimes I work, I, I hate using words like worry. I know, it's okay. The first episode. Yeah. But sometimes I, I, one thing that I'm watching, right, is, is, Aubrey Plaza's character of Harper, who is sort of the stick in the mud of, you know, of this group. Right. And I really like that she comes from a different world. And if you remember, Alexandra Daddario's character was similar, right? Yes. That she had worked a number of jobs. She was worked in media and then suddenly was th- thrown into a completely different tax bracket. Right. The thing about the Harper character that I wish was pushed in a deeper direction is she's still wearing like a Versace bathing suit. Now, forgive me, people who listen to this podcast who actually know what labels and fancy things and bathing suits are. I don't think that's accurate. But the only reason we know that she is different, right, is because of her attitude and because she's reading a book at night. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she seems totally rich, you know, and totally fancy. And I, I can't tell if that's uh, astute in sort of saying, like, well, they're all the same anyway. And so, you know, trying to grayed out the differences is is useless because they're all there, you know, spending the same money and being as wasteful. But I kind of wish that she was a little bit, and maybe she will be, just pitched a little bit differently, or at least appearance-wise a little bit differently, so that that could be a richer thing other than, other than we as the audience also being like, oh, the person who doesn't like fishy fish at dinner is the worst. You well, know what I mean? Like that's, 
It's broad. I wonder if Haley Lou Richardson's Portia character is supposed to be that, you know, Mm -hmm. the person who's just like a little bit out of their economic depth, like means depth, Mm -hmm. you know? The Harper character, I thought was pretty... I, too, really gravitated towards those two couples. I think that that seems to be the spine of this show this year. I think that you're obviously seeing people at various points, like the spectrum of like where you can be in a romantic relationship or where you can be in your relationship to romance and love is, is depicted through Portia Harper mm-hmm. and Dominic, the Michael Imperioli character in some ways, you know, um, mm-hmm. I liked that the way he, Mike White kind of lightly lampoons everybody at that table. Like nobody is spared. It's not like he's like Harper's, right take on the world is I, I even thought the way she's just like so if you guys don't watch the news what do you do and then Megan Faye's character is kind of like well I raise our children and she's just like oh yeah right okay forgot, like, forgot about that and it's like yeah or, or, or that she's gross not gross she's grossed out and annoyed by the sounds of people laughing and right. ha- you know and being intimate in whatever form it takes like that that was that was an interesting reversal, and I, I I appreciate that about him. I think it it can be disorienting because there is no POV character that we can tell, right? right. And I think that that's something that is, you know, I think that's good. I think that's complicated. I think that 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 subverts our expectation, but it definitely leaves you a little bit unsure of where to land. And I think that I say this as someone who watches, I was going to say watches a lot of TV, but this podcast definitely suggests otherwise. But <laughs> I, I listen to a lot of prestige, t- prestige TV podcasts. And I, even that, you know, I, I'm a little disoriented by that sometimes. Like I kind of want a, a safe landing spot. Yeah, I think it would like, so there's obviously some things that are carried over in terms of, you have Lucia and Mia kind of, you know, in the Greek chorus roles. You have Valentina as the Murray Bartlett character, although I have a feeling, I haven't watched ahead, but I have a feeling it is not going to take on as much of the pathos yeah. that Murray Bartlett and the kind of sin eating that Murray Bartlett's character did. You've got these couples that are supposed to sort of stand in for the Alexandra Daddario, Jake Lacey, Connie Britton, Steve Zahn couples, although they're the dynamics different. And then you have this added element of this multi-generational family of Italian-American men making a kind of pilgrimage of sorts. But even though everything they're doing has a kind of noble father, son, and son, you know, patna of like, we're going to go back and we're going to see this village Mm -hmm. and we're going to see the ruins and all this stuff. It's really, these guys are on these guys are looking for for women, you know, like the they're, they're, they're in F. Marie Abraham's character is a maybe out of fashion, incorrigible flirt and possibly harasser. And then you've got Imperioli, who's like trolling for women in a different way. And then Albie is apparently nuclear bombed his entire life. Yes. Back in Los based Angeles. on his wife's uh, take on on his trip. Yeah, sure. So that's new, right? Like that kind of like, I, I'm not really sure where that's going. And I, I thought Imperioli who's like really now kind of emerged as like he's he's always been like such a cool actor to me and such a cool figure yeah. you know in in the stuff he's done but to see him get to play somebody with so much like hangdog energy yeah was really was really neat i'm glad he got this part i, I i'm with you on that i i, I was interested I mean, I wanted to start with those couples because that was some of the similar energy. And I think that I'm interested to see which performers pop out of that group because obviously everyone in that group is really talented. 
and very charismatic and holding their own. But to your point, like Steve Zahn and Connie Britton are big mm-hmm. in, in in talent and in stature and in reputation and in our experience with them, you know, and that really was shiny. I mean, Connie Britton, I remember we talked at one point, I'm being like, she, it's almost like, is she a decoy? You know, because right. she's one of the great actors, certainly great TV actors of a generation. And she didn't have that much to do in the early going, but it was it was such a weight, a gravitational force. And that's a little bit different in the casting this season. And I wonder if that's entirely by choice because the franchise is bigger than any one performer, or is it because summer 2020, everyone was available and the thought of working and going to Hawaii was very appealing, I'm sure. Yeah, but um, I think Connie Britton you- and Steve Zahn like really matter to you and me. Yes. But I, I don't know that that's like having Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman in a show. You know what I mean? No, no, no. I, I, I agree. And and maybe I'm just not, you know, like I like Haley Lou Richardson who plays Portia. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anything with her in it, even though she probably has like 7 million Instagram followers. No, you know, so I, I, 17 is really good. The movie that she starred in was, was oh, great. Right. I thought, yeah, I thought she was really good. I, but I, but I mean, like, 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 but uh, again, that's Megan, not, that's not having, I mean, that's not even Sydney Sweeney, right? Like, that's right. At this Megan point. Fahey, who plays Daphne, is like a, a, a Broadway actor, and she's really great already, and great in the way that TV performers can be, and that I didn't carry any baggage with her. And now I'm like, yeah, oh, she's this person on, is... on bold type, or she was on bold type, but yeah. But anyway, all of that was just as a segue, to, a, a lead up to say that the the dudes, the trio, that's something, that is something new. And I think that's pretty interesting, just sort of exploring generational masculinity and things between, like, that's not a story that you often see on TV. And I'm very interested in what Mike White wants to say about it. Um, I also am really happy to see Imperioli because to your point, like, you know, he, he's for a generation of television watchers. He's, he's always going to be Chrissy. Chris, Christopher Moltisanti from Sopranos. The actual guy Imperioli is a practicing Buddhist, you know, and an incredibly like by all accounts, like gentle and intellectual figure. And I love that he gets to play pieces of that in this part, right? That he, that that the it's such an it's such a he's so good at casting Mike White and he's so unique in casting especially now because he gets what he wants so there was no like oh yeah but could we see some alts for this could we see if Paul Bettany can read for the Haley Lou Richardson character that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't here you know what I mean so the thing about Imperioli with this is that he's playing in some ways I believe his real self his public self he's quiet watchful sensitive but because he carries the mob aura. Mm-hmm. In viewers' minds, we buy that he might also be the absolute monster that was described on the telephone call, right? That's really cool. Also, F. Murray Abraham looks phenomenal. I got to say, his shirts, his <laughs> shirts are great. Yeah, it, it that's all that's all pretty compelling, but it did feel, and this is also maybe a piece of not just the circumstances of a show that's coming back for a second season, but a show that doesn't need to prove itself again, Um I didn't feel, other than the body at the beginning, like in the first season, there wasn't a particular urgency. This was the first, this was a rival, right? Even though it was, you know, it, it was a rival. So, yeah. so it, it didn't leave me, it, it left me interested as we're sort of descending into, well, I, I shouldn't say the ocean because that doesn't work out well. But I, I was going to say that it, it, take, it takes a little bit of retraining of your brain coming out of these last couple months of Dragon rings of power and Andor mm-hmm. to have maybe a less transactional relationship with the show you're watching because oh, I yeah. think when you're watching a big IP franchise show you're like who's Sauron 
when does this person ride a dragon? What's going to happen if Viserys dies? What's going to happen if this, you know, they don't get off this planet or whatever? And then when you're watching humans <laughs> on vacation, it might not be at the end of the 45 minutes, something incredible happens. It might be like, oh, there's more to this dominant character than it's him who they were, who they were communicating with, who, who Lucia right. was. And that, there's not like a huge reveal. And, you know, I, I'll be curious to see, you know, you mentioned in the beginning the, the bodies floating in the water. Um, I'll be curious to see what the payoff is with that later on or whether or not that's a little bit of a red herring or a red herring that actually takes us in an unexpected direction. Like I said, I haven't watched ahead. I know that they are referred to as guests by the, the hotel staff when, mm-hmm. in that first scene. Um, there's been a lot of like re- refugee deaths in the seas mm. surrounding Sicily over the last few years with people escaping Libya and other, other places. I wouldn't kind of... I bet Mike White's aware of that. And I wondered, I kind of, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that just because he obviously in, in, in season one had a deep awareness of where they were shooting and what was happening to that place. I would find it. I wouldn't be surprised if that actually comes into play. Maybe not that specifically, but these people can't be encased in their own problems for too long. I hope that's still here. You're, you're, you're right to point out that that was a piece of the first season. Like, the, just the, the, the few small throwaway moments that actually nodded to Sicily being a place in Italy, that, that this hotel used to be a convent. Yeah. That, you know, that scene where it's really about F. Murray Abraham flirting, but he's just, she's just like, I'm from Milan. Like, I'm not from here. I'm from another part of here, you know. Uh, I, I, hope, I hope there's an opportunity for more than that. I would also say that and we probably said this frequently when we were covering the first season, that Mike White seemed, he didn't seem particularly interested in the mystery of who was in the box in a way that I actually commend. You know, I, it doesn't mean that it didn't, he didn't see it through, that he didn't build something that made it make sense and pay off logically. Because I, you know, you, I didn't end the first season uh, um, being like, wait, that was just a misdirect. He doesn't work like that. And I think that also speaks to your point about training our brain, this isn't a show about answering the question, right? It's a, it's a show about figuring out the right questions. And those are my favorite kind of shows. And I'm remembering as I talk about it that I think the moment that I truly gave myself over, you know, I, I really liked the show before, but the moment I keep thinking about that I love so much that really represented the first series to me was when Tanya, Jennifer Coolidge's character, is you know at the bar with Greg, who is now her husband. Mm-hmm. And it was, this, it was either the second the third to last or second to last episode uh, and the the fever pitch certainly among viewers of who's in the box was really yeah. cresting and Greg had a coughing fit. You know what I mean? It, it was like Chekhov's cough and it was so funny and knowing because he was doing that to us because he knew the audience in a way that didn't feel like we were being manipulated. It felt like he was sort of, it felt like he was having fun. Well, also Greg you know? would be and the I, perfect I, person to, like kill off because it's like you have the least amount of investment probably in that exactly. character. He shows up late. He doesn't really have a backstory. I mean, he sort of has a backstory, but he doesn't, it's, it's yep. really unclear what the, how he will tip the scales. And then it would sort of be like, Oh yeah, it was, it was Tanya's boyfriend who, who passed away and I, she's alone again. I, I guess I just would say, I, I, I'm realizing what I'm, I, I may sound tepid about this, you know, but I, I don't think that's the case. I think that what happened in the first season was because I had never really fully invested in Mike White's work, I had kind of a reaction like, oh, he hates people. 
like he's just kind of misanthropic. That's not the case when given the time, he does give every character some grace notes of humanity. Yeah. You know, he's generous towards them and he does care about them in a way that I think is important for a creator. He just doesn't sugarcoat it at the, at the top. He doesn't do the thing where everyone seems good and then he slowly peels back layers of bitterness. He shows, he leads with warts, you know, and then, and, and that's just, again, it's, you have to get trained to watch that way. It's a it's a reverse polarity from the way most storytelling gets done. It's not unlike on how TV these days. when you're on vacation and you see the same people a couple of times, say around a hotel that you're staying at, or even if it's a town that you're staying in, you wind up seeing like the same people over and over. They may start out as two dimensional people, and right. your first viewing of the Connie Britton and Steve Zahn characters from season one might be oh, that woman's so successful or they have such a beautiful mm. family or they're so funny, you know, like they seem to be like real zany. And then you just increasingly dial up the sort of like emotional pain these people are suffering. That's so interesting. I think, I wonder if that's, you could make- Not that I remember argument. a lot of like, like witnessing of emotional pain on vacation, but like you, you everybody's got their own internal life. But that, that time we went down to San Diego and you slept like that, I think was really a whole white lotus season in 24 hours. Um, no, I, I wonder if you could make the argument that this, that, that, that comes from comedy writing. And the reason I say that is because what you were just describing reminded me of like the, the now basically ignored first six episodes of Parks and Recreation where, um, Leslie's Leslie is, Leslie's shrill and annoying and Ron is, you know, is tough and whatever. And everyone's rolling their eyes at each other. And, you know, it's my favorite TV quote. I use it all the time on this podcast and otherwise, but would Mike sure. Well, Mike sure gives a lot of great TV quotes, but what he said about comedies, about, you know, wanting to throw away the first 10 episodes and start people with the 11th, because, I, you know, on the page, you start with caricature, and then you you, you bounce the caricatures against each other, and they start softening and changing in relationship to each other. And that is kind of what he's doing here, but it's in a different size box, right? It's 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 an hour-long, uh, it's not a thriller, it's a socio- social... What what is this show? It's a, Social it's, satire? Yeah, and it's a, an adult drama. You know, I yeah. think it's it's a lot of like adult like problems. I, it's a lot of. Like, I've only seen one episode. I heard Bill say that it was sexy. <laughs> Bill was saying that it, this is a sexually charged season, which yes. is what I want to hear between him and cousin Sal. So I'm excited. <laughs> um, we can wrap it up there. So Thursday, here's what we'll probably yeah. do. Obviously, Andor, and then we also have to get back on the Atlanta stuff. Because My Atlanta, gosh, yeah. I think it's the penultimate episode is this Wednesday or this Thursday. We, we can be honest. It, it was because of the divisional series that it's with tough. the Phillies playing so well. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 I like permanently deleted Gucci Mane from my iTunes library. Permanently? <laughs> wow. Wow. And it was only, we won it. Like, it was like 3-1. Take it wasn't that, even Ronald like a Acuna. seven kicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's rough. Yeah, um, that's why we didn't we haven't been keeping up, but we need to keep up. I have I've I've started catching up the episodes that we missed. And, I think now because um, I saw a couple of um, you know, what's the legacy of Atlanta pieces. There's I think there's even like a short doc that FX has put together. So it's kind of like hitting me that this show is leaving us, and 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 I think it really deserves some commentary again van van and, and charles have been doing an amazing job all season breaking down episode it's, by episode but i just I, th- I think that when you think about the last five years of us doing this pod one yeah. of the sort of central shows has always been like atlanta and i think that you know I was, I was thinking about the patient i was thinking about a lot of different shows that have come along but like how f- influential atlanta is going to mm-hmm. wind up being um 
you know, it's, and, I, I totally agree. And we need to cover it. it. It is bold of you to lay down this marker when the World Series is returning to Philadelphia tonight, which means that the majority of this week is going to be spent crouched in the fetal position on my couch. Right. Uh, we, no, I mean, which is how I spend most nights, but this time the TV will be on. But see, the, you can go as uh, Jair Bolsonaro having COVID for the ninth time and just be on bed rest <laughs> tonight as for Halloween. <laughs> And then you can watch, that, watch the World Series from that. that the, ki- the kids are going to get that <laughs> sure. right from jump. You know what I mean? Just first pass, they get it. Um, we were produced by Kaya McMullen. She does great work, doesn't she? Kaya's the best. Kaya, I mean, I, can't, I, I cannot believe what she puts up with on, on a consistent basis from us. Can I, Thank pl- you, Kaya. Can I plug something? Kaya's got a show that she produced coming out this week called This Blew Up, hosted by Alyssa Beresnack on the Ringer Dish feed that people should definitely check out. Uh, and and from what I've heard, it's like Kai is out here, like peak Timbaland with the sound design and, and, and the production. Kai, so. Are you twisting the knobs? Kai, what's going on? Do you want to, do you want to give us a pitch for this? Yeah. Kai, plug this blew up for us real quick. Yes, sure. So uh, this blew up is a six episode, I would say narrative investigative series from Alyssa's hosting and it's about influencers and content houses in LA and some of the shady stuff that goes on with that. I know about shady stuff happening in the world of content, but I can't wait to listen to this pod. And in the world of Brazilian politics. That's right. So, <laughs> um, Andy, it was great to see you. I'll talk to you on Thursday. I think <laughs> I love the question. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'm going to make time for it. I'll be here. I can't wait. Bye, guys. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 